this week, I want to introduce the Scripture in a little different way. Probably 99% of the times before I read a Scripture passage, I'm preaching out, I'll give some context uh, historically or literarily to understand what's before us today better. What came before, what comes after, how it fits into the author's purpose for the book, or maybe those how it fits into the broader context. You know, those individual verses are set into paragraphs, and those are set into chapters, and those are set into entire books. And sometimes one author has multiple books, or that one book fits into a particular genre, maybe a historical narrative or an epistle or a gospel, or like today's passage, it's in the midst of the wisdom literature. But I want to look at a theme, a theme that's found throughout the Bible, which in a very specific way is referenced in our passage today. In Proverbs 3, verse 18, it says, She, wisdom, is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. Trees are mentioned roughly 200 times in the Old Testament, 50 times in the New Testament. But a tree of life, specifically, is mentioned only four times in Genesis, four times in Proverbs, and four times in Revelation. A tree of life in Genesis we see in Paradise Lost. In Genesis 2.8, the Lord God planted the Garden of Eden in the east, and he put man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that's pleasant to the sight and good for food. And the tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we know God's command was not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but Adam and Eve fell into sin. And in Genesis 3.22, it says, The Lord God said, Behold, that man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, unless he reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat it and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Adam and Eve, paradise lost, barred from the tree of life. We see that tree of life return again in the book of Revelation, Revelation 2 and 22, in paradise regained. Revelation 2, 7 says, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. This tree of life is reserved for the very end. In Revelation 22, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Through the middle of the the street also on either side of the river, the tree of of life with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month, the leaves of which of the tree are for the healing of the nations." Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have a right to eat of the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. If anyone takes away from the words of this book of prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. At the very end of Scripture, the tree of life in paradise regained. What does the tree of life mean in Proverbs? I think it's a taste of 
paradise now. And the four times that we see it in Proverbs, we see in Proverbs 3.18, our passage today, she, wisdom, is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. In Proverbs 11.30, it says, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of light, and whoever captures souls is wise. Proverbs 13.12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Proverbs 15.4, a gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. So now with the tree of life in Genesis in the rearview mirror and the tree of life still to come in Revelation, we're now let, let's consider today the wisdom as a tree of life that we can get a taste, a taste today. Wisdom for today is of such great value. It ties together the beginning and the end. The beginning of all things as God designed it and the end of all things. Between paradise lost and paradise regained in the future, we can have a taste of paradise now if we lay hold of the wisdom in Proverbs for today. Follow as I read Proverbs three thirteen to 35. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds drop down the dew. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life for you, an adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it's in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, "Come, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you you now. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous." Toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we consider your word and the way of wisdom, Lord, we pray that you would direct us and guide us. We know that this spiritual truth, this wisdom from you, is only discerned as the Holy Spirit illumines your word, makes sense of it to us. And Lord, as we understand your word, we lack the power to carry it out if it weren't for, again, your indwelling Holy Spirit. Lord, you've made us so dependent on you 
for the understanding and the power to do what you have laid before us today. I pray that you would guide us and direct us in the study of your truth even now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The question before us is, what is wisdom worth? And right off the bat, the writer gives us so many, uh, such a long list of the value of wisdom. In fact, he just proves that wisdom is more valuable than anything that we can desire. And he starts in verse 13, blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. Now remember, in order for us to get this right, we have to follow the directions of the author. When we were told, again, that we are finding wisdom and getting wisdom, where that actually begins. What is the starting point? The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And as, we've, as we have gleaned that beginning point, the fear of the Lord, that fear of the Lord is, under, is the starting point for us living in His kingdom, living as disciples, living as followers of Christ. The all-powerful, the almighty, the thrice-holy God is the one that we are to fear. And that fear is justified because he's the judge of the earth. We'll all have to stand before him in his righteousness and his holiness. And we would do right to fear the Lord. And as we fear him, we are drawn, we are compelled to run to Christ. To run to the one who stood in our place, who, who took the wrath, who took the punishment we deserve. That was poured out on him on the cross. And he died for those sins so that we could live, so that we could be found as righteous in God's sight, not because we earned it, not because we deserve it, but because of our, our atonement made through Jesus. And so, as we start with the beginning of wisdom, and we fear the Lord, we repent and believe in Christ, so He gives us then these principles. He gives us then the way of wisdom. And we cry out, Lord, now teach me the way of wisdom as we move forward in our lives. Okay, so let's look at what's promised as we do pursue wisdom. Verses 14 through 17, it's a big promise. Consider, the gain from wisdom is better than the gain from silver, her profit better than gold, she's more precious than jewels. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Lord, I can desire a lot of things. I can think of a whole lot of things that would be really great, that would be really awesome but you're saying wisdom doesn't even compare to all that you can give. You go on to say long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches in honor. uh, Her ways are the ways of pleasantness. All of her paths are peace. Really? That sounds like too much. That sounds like God has to be giving too much. How can this be for real? This is just pie in the sky kind of promises. Is wisdom really this real? and valuable? Well, two things we need to keep in mind here, that these promises that we're considering have to be remembered in light of other biblical promises, promises that you will have trouble in this life, that there will be suffering, that there are trials, that there are persecutions. These are the the counterbalance promises that were given in other portions of God's Word. The other thing to keep in mind is the blessings in their fullness. 
are most fully realized when Christ returns and all things are set right. This is just a foretaste of that utter blessedness of wisdom that we will surely inherit when God comes, when Christ comes again to make all things right. And leading up again to verse 18, she is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. And just envisioning this tree that, that you're clinging to, that you're holding to, and the storms of life are coming, the, the winds are coming, and you're grasping and, and holding on. You're laying hold and holding fast to this tree, and you're called blessed. Isn't it interesting? This sounds a lot of like the blesseds that Jesus gives in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the peacemakers and so on. It sounds like these blessings, these Beatitudes, are the way of wisdom. It sounds a lot like the first psalm. And the tree that's planted by the streams of water. The beatitudes of Jesus and the be doings of Psalm 1 are the application I want us to consider for this section. How do we get this valuable thing that we call wisdom? Well, Psalm 1, again, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. On his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water. That water is a supply. That tree is well supplied. It yields its fruit in its own season. It's it's a fruitful tree, a fruit-bearing tree. Its leaf does not wither. It's long-lasting. It it, it withstands the, the trouble and is able to keep growing. In all that he does, he prospers. It's successful. This is the tree that's planted by the water. This is us as we delight in the law of the Lord, as we meditate on the law of the Lord. When you're in the Word of God, that's the place you're going to find the wisdom of God. You're going to glean that wisdom for living a life that is different. You stand out from those who are wicked and the sinners and the scoffers because you reject their ways. You don't walk in them. But you delight in the Lord and walking in His ways. That's being called blessed when you lay hold of that tree of life. Now, consider the next section with this thought. That if wisdom is good and useful to the Lord when He created all things, it's got to be good for us now. The Lord made all things with wisdom, verses 19 and 20 make clear. So it's good for God. It's got to be good for us. He says in 19, the Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down dew. God made the world. Everything in it, everything that we know. This is the most amazing and foundational thing that God has made He made at the beginning of time, and he made it by wisdom. If God used wisdom to build, shouldn't we? So, at the beginning of spring break, I had uh, sitting in my garage a box that I had purchased 
earlier on, it was a box that held a grill. Now, my gas grill had gotten pretty wore out, pretty old, pretty rusted. So I grabbed Rebecca and we got to work assembling this uh, new grill to replace the old one. This isn't my first rodeo in grill assembly. And so I can recall probably about a half dozen times that I've put together grills either for myself or for uh, a family member. So when I got the grill, I do what I normally do, pull out all the parts, put them in a place, grab the tools that I'm going to need and have them nearby, and I got the instructions, the manual, the how-to assembly. Well, I don't just throw out the instructions. I look at the pictures. So usually I think looking at the pictures and the diagrams, that's enough. I mean, I've done this before. I can get by. And, you know, I need to be careful because this is an important job, right? It's important because we really love the food that we grill on there and we want to use what I put together a lot. But there's something about putting together a grill that has a little greater consequence if you don't get it right. You know, you could blow up or you could burn down your house. So being very careful about something that really requires attention to detail when you put it together I think I should have paid better attention. I was um, looking at the pictures while Rebecca is actually reading the helpful, detailed information. And so I wanted to rush through, but Rebecca took some time and actually read. And so she found some important details that I might have completely overlooked. I want to rush through, get the job done. I think sometimes we want to rush through life We want to rush through our tasks. We want to rush through the things that are before us so that we can just check them off of our list and get them done. But can I ask you a question? If God thought that wisdom was important in making all things in creation, don't you think that we should slow down, read some instructions, and get some wisdom for a few of our important projects? I mean, what are you building right now that you're not seeking God's wisdom for? Are they things that have big consequences if you don't get them right? Are you seeking God's wisdom for building your marriage, for your children, maybe for your choice in schooling or your career, for your retirement, for your ministry? Are you seeking the Lord and His wisdom in those things that you are building? So we've considered the value of wisdom, how great and valuable it is, that more valuable than anything. We considered the Lord's use of wisdom in how he has created all things. Right now, let's look at the benefits that we have now for wisdom and discretion. Verses 21 to 26, it says, My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. They will be life for you, an adornment around your neck, Then you will walk on your way securely. Your foot will not stumble. You will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of the sudden terror or the ruin of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. These are the present benefits that the wise son receives from living in a wise way. 
And there's a huge range of benefits that come from his personal life and protection, security and safety, sweet sleep in the face of a sudden terror and the ruin of the wicked. How, how can we be serene, calm, and ready when we don't know what's going to happen next? I mean, the nature of the things that come our way in the present right now are things like verse 25, a sudden terror, the ruin of the wicked. There's things that we don't know and can't plan for, but God teaches us that the way of wisdom will benefit us when we don't know what's going to happen. And you know what the promise is? We see in verse 26 this promise that the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Actually, the translation for the Lord will be your confidence I don't think is actually as good as the the little reading of the Hebrew. It, It literally says, for the Lord will be at your side, or literally at your flank or your loin. He, he is intimately close to you right here and right now. The Lord is so close to you, you have nothing to fear. And that brings confidence, but the reminder of His presence is something that gives us great strength and confidence and security to face dangers. Remember, when you fear the Lord, you have nothing else to fear. Nothing is bigger or more powerful than the Lord who is right at your side. I mean, the confidence you had going to the playground to face those bullies now that your big brother is with you pales in comparison to knowing that the God of the universe who created all things is with you in the midst and in the face of any adversary, any danger, even if it is a sudden terror. Do you live this reality that God is present? Do you say in the midst of danger, the Lord is actually and literally at my side. He's here. He's right here, right now, in the face of coronavirus. He is here, right now, and present in the midst of our family pressure and stress and discord. The Lord is here. He's at my side in the midst of my uncertainty about my job, in the midst of my uncertainty about my retirement funds. He's here. He's right now. And the benefit to wisdom is understanding that God is present right now. We've considered the value of wisdom. We've considered the Lord's use of wisdom in creating all things. We consider the benefits that we have with God's presence. So, What does that translate into concerning those around me, towards my neighbors? Remember, Jesus said that the first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second commandment is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, This section in verses 27 to 33 gives some practical ways in which the love that we've received from God can overflow into how we love others. I mean, I think it's a very timely admonition for us today to consider how we treat others, how we treat our neighbors in the midst of a pandemic. Uh, Verse 27 says, Do not withhold good from those whom it is due when it's in your power to do it. This isn't just pay your debts. You know, you have the money in your account, you should pay the person who you owe to him it's due. 
it probably refers to the debt of love that we sh sh uh, have for all people, and particularly for care for the needy. Those whom it's due would be those who need our help. As verse 28 says, do not say to your neighbor, go and come again tomorrow and I will give it when you have it with you. Don't go delay in giving. Don't stall in giving help to others. There's no time like the present. Give now. Verse 28, 29 and 30 said, do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he's done you no harm. Don't just go and disrupt peace. Don't be a rabble rouser. Uh, don't go to war with somebody on the internet making it your personal vendetta to prove them wrong. Uh, just don't do harm to someone for no reason. How else? Verses 31 to 33. Uh, don't envy a man of violence. Don't choose any of his ways. The devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. You see, God is on the side of the upright and, uh, and righteousness, and he's against the violent, devious, and wicked. Don't team up with them. Don't try to be with them. Don't try to be like them. They're on the losing side. So, what's the application here? Consider the way of wisdom in dealing with your neighbors and treat them with love as you've been treated with love from God. I say this sometimes in, in, in counseling, in dealing with personal conflict with one another, whether it's in your marriage or your family or coworkers or whomever, whichever neighbor you happen to be dealing with, that we need to not just go on the horizontal with them to treat them like they treat us or get back at them because they did something wrong to us, but we need to treat others as we have been treated by God, that we go vertical, that before we go at somebody, we go to the Lord and thank Him for the love that He's poured into our hearts and the forgiveness that he's shown to us and the grace that he's given to us. And as we go and store up in our thoughts and in our thinking that love that he's shown to us, we are then empowered. We have something to draw from. We have a storehouse of love given to us from God that we can then give to others to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. So considering the value of wisdom, considering the Lord using wisdom, the benefits of wisdom here and now, and how that directs our dealings with our neighbor on the horizontal. Now we conclude with really the motive behind this wisdom. In verses 34 and 35, we see mo wisdom is motivated by grace. Verse 34 says, Toward the scorners he's scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. The wise will inherit honor, but fools will get disgrace. There's contrasting attitudes and contrasting results that each of these groups can expect. There's the scorners and the fools. What are they going to receive from the Lord? Scorn and disgrace. Remember the fool who says in his heart, there is no God. He's rejected his creator. He's rejected the rightful king and instead he wants to be his own king of his own little kingdom and rule his own life. That's the fool, the one who has scorned God's wisdom. What can he expect to receive? Scorn and disgrace. But the wise, 
will inherit honor because they are humbled. This is from the very beginning of wisdom through the fear of the Lord that leads us to repent and to believe. God, who is the great and awesome God, who is the holy God, who in spite of our sin and shame has given us his love and forgiveness, this is undeserved favor. This is grace. He gives grace. He gives favor. And it's this grace that motivates us to pursue a life of wisdom, to go after wisdom. And except for the grace and favor of God, we would all remain dead in our trespasses and sin. We'd all remain fools, wrapped up in our own little kingdom, trying to live by our own rules, and destined for disgrace. 1 Peter 5, 5. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under his mighty hand, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. Let's pray. Gracious, gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the valuable gift of wisdom that you have given us, Lord. We thank you that it is a a tree of life that we can taste today and benefit from. It's just a taste of what you originally gave to Adam and Eve in the garden, but they gave up in their sinful pursuit of their self. And it's really the ultimate fulfillment will be when we go to the new heavens and the new earth and when we receive in its fullness the tree of life for the healing of the nations, the blessing that is ours to come. But for now, Lord, in this time before your return, we just long for and desire a taste of your wisdom. And Lord, I pray that we would grow in that wisdom, that we would see it so valuable more than anything and everything. And Lord, that we would make it our aim to follow you and to please you, that we would do this because of your great and marvelous grace that you have shown us in your Son. We thank you for this grace that you've given to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Our hymn of response and dedication is, Guide me, O thou great Jehovah. Let's stand together as we sing this hymn.